Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and the podcast is in partnership with PR Daily, which is the preeminent brand for public relations professionals delivering news, advice, opinions, and benchmarking via PRDaily.com. Join me there to find more episodes for the podcast. And if you like the podcast, please do leave a review and share it with your colleagues so that more folks can find it online. Thanks so much. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's guest is, well, if I look back on the calendar, it's probably been about 15 or 16 years since I walked into the green room at MSNBC and was introduced to my counterpart at the Democratic National Committee, who uh, I used to joke had better talking points than me because some of what I was defending at the time was a little difficult. Uh, Karen Finney is with me today, who is not only a CNN political commentator, she is also uh, just renowned amongst the public affairs and communication space as a leader and, a, and a, just a tremendous guide and asset throughout the work that she's done in her political background. She's doing a lot of work with women candidates now. Karen, thank you for being with me today. It's so great to be with you and so great to see you. It's been you forever, too. like you said. I know. Well, COVID, I, I've found myself in the habit of saying, oh, this happened last year. And when, in fact, it actually was like three or four years ago, because yeah. the, the vacuum of time that's been lost to COVID has been, yes. well, a little bit weird. Um, yes. But before we even get started. I want you to talk to me about your background. How did you, you have a public affairs background, but you also really are a very sought after voice in this public dialogue that we're having about, well, lots of different things. So tell me a little bit, Karen, about how you got started. Sure. You know, actually, honestly, I was supposed to go to law school in 1992. Both of us. Yeah. And I got interested in the Clinton campaign. Mm -hmm. And you know, did advance work, which for people who don't know what that is, those are the people who are there several days in advance of a candidate setting up events. Um, And I loved it. And so I deferred law school and ended up, my father, of course, was like, well, what if Bill Clinton doesn't win? And I said, well, then I'll just go to law school next year. And, you know, I got really fortunate that, um, I happened to meet Maggie Williams, who was Hillary Clinton's chief of staff at the time on a trip, and she kind of kept an eye on me and um, checked in with me at the end of the campaign. And I said, you know, I want to work for Hillary. I'll do whatever it takes and was hired in the press office. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, so I worked for Hillary for four years, the full four years of the first term. And then I worked for President Clinton for a year as a scheduler. And you know, that was such a way to cut your teeth in politics, in in media, public affairs, especially because, you know, the first lady, Hillary was unique and we were doing health care. And so there were substantive policy issues, but also in terms of some many of the things in the East Wing, you know, like holidays at the White House, right. where we would invite artists to create ornaments and that was a much more public affairs. Let's talk to NPR about the artists. Uh, so it was just the full range of, of things. And from there, I kind of, you know, I, I just kind of did different jobs. And I always say to young people, you know, think about what's the skill set that you need in your toolbox to get to the next thing. Yeah, that's and good so, advice. 
I kept, you know, I was, you know, so I was a deputy press secretary, then a press secretary, and then I, you know, I wanted to be a comms director. So I thought, okay, then I've got to get on the record experience. So I just sort of built my career a little bit at a time with different experiences. And then, you know, when I left the DNC, which is the last time you and I saw each other, yeah, um, I became a commentator for MSNBC, actually. Right. And that gave me an opportunity to start to talk about some of these issues that, and, you know, when you're first starting out as a commentator, especially as a younger woman and woman of color, you know, you're trying to find what's the balance of, because, you know, you don't, I never wanted to just be out, say outrageous things just for the sake of it. Right. I'm always trying to think of what's not being said that Mm -hmm. people that needs to get said here. I love that. And certainly when I had my show on MSNBC, that was part of how I thought about it was, okay, if we have to, if we're going to talk about the Keystone pipeline, which was a hot issue at the time, still is, of course, what's, what are people not talking about that we could talk about? And certainly on pan- political panels and things that I do today, obviously, you know, the changing America and race and gender um, and so many of these issues are really at the forefront. And I think it's important to not shy away from those conversations, um, but to do so in a thoughtful, responsible way um, that gives people maybe some insight that in ways they hadn't thought about it before. And I, you know, that's not to say I still won't, if I think, you know, a talking point on the other side is, you know, I'll call, call out something I, I think is just either not true or um, ridiculous. Well, I love but, that about you because you do, you really, you never let anybody sort of get, get by with that in a, in a super respectful and also historical way. And I love that about your background. I want to talk to you for a second about discord, right? Is that what the disrupt, sorry, disrupt yeah, was the yeah, name of the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did that differ? There's so many facets of hosting your own show that's yeah. different than being able to be the spokesperson for the first lady or uh, the spokesperson for a political party or candidate. Talk to me a little bit about yeah. that process. Cause you did that for quite a while. Yeah, it was a great experience. And, you know, part of the biggest difference, and it's just, you know, similar to being a commentator. I mean, I take being a commentator as being an opinion journalist, right. Mm-hmm. Which is, I'm going to give you my opinion, but I certainly, I do research to make sure that what I'm saying is based in fact, I know not everybody does, but I do. I know. I get teased <laughs> because I have all these notebooks that I write my notes in. But as a host, you really get to have a voice in what topics are we going to cover? We have an hour. What mm. do we get to, what do we want to talk about? And obviously there's some topics as people will note on cable that, in a given news cycle, everybody's talking about, um, you know, it, was it Sarah Palin or the latest in an election or what's happening on the Hill? But, you know, you can, I, again, like I have the opportunity to try to say, okay, how do we do something different on this? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. We, we did do a story on the Keystone Exome, the pipeline. And I said, well, why don't we talk to the people where the pipeline would end, which is Port Arthur, Texas, which happens to be a very poor, predominantly black town. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to people there and, and we heard from them, their concerns about having yet another pipeline end in their community where kids already didn't play outside because the air quality was so bad. That's a different conversation than fighting about 
what's happening in the middle of the country. And I thought it was important. So that was the, I think the biggest difference was getting to say, okay, let's talk about this and how are we going to do it a little differently? Um, You know, it's, I think for me, I'll say the challenge too, and, you know, I'm so um, enamored of a great interviewer because it is so hard. Like, I mean, you know, this from the podcast, like, you know, you, have a sense where you want the conversation to go. You've got to kind of be prepared for it to go in other directions or something happens or comes up that you didn't anticipate. That's really interesting to go with that. But then also just to be able to tease out of people a little bit more uh, because so as we know, right. And I know this from the other side of things, people come with their talking points. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So getting to try to, you know, how do you get somebody to give you a little bit more than the talking points or something a little different is, is a real challenge. And I wasn't interested in trying to do gotcha. I was, I mean, obviously you want to make news and you want it to be an interesting show, Sure. but you know, I think there's a, a balance about, and part of what I wanted to do is give people a sense of behind the scenes. This is how Paul, this is why you're seeing this happen. Why you know, how the sausage is made. Yeah. Because I think it helps people understand that, you know, some of these types of conversations, as an example, the debt ceiling, right? That happens every so often. Here we are. Yeah, again. And it's a lot of the same conversation. And so that those, those I love doing it and, and, and just having that opportunity to, you know, meet different people and talk with different you know, again, some people that we don't always hear from. Yeah. That's what I really enjoy. Well, I love that too, because I think that that's something that gets lost in a lot of the news that we do consume every day is that because each and every show has a formula, it has a certain amount of minutes that you have to dedicate to a certain topic and you've got to meet the, you know, the weather and you've got to get everything in, whether it's weather or some other sort of facet, plus you have to breaking news. I mean, you and I, at one point, I remember being asked to comment on uh, Anna Nicole Smith a thousand years ago, or there was some sort of something that happened. We're in the green room and it's like, wait a minute, or a sinkhole. I mean, there were so many funny things that happened at that time in our lives that it was like, oh, here I go again, talking about something irrelevant to at least the talking points that I've arrived with. Right. Right. Uh, right. Or breaking news happens. This happened on one of my shows. There was an airplane crash at San Francisco International Airport horrible Mm. so you had to every the whole show had to throw it out and had to kind of put together a new show in about 30 minutes with and talk you know a lot of back and forth with the reporter was on the ground for you know I happened to be from the Bay Area so I had flown into that airport so I had enough of a sense of kind of some of the questions to ask right right um but you're kind of learning on the fly yeah in those instances and that's exciting too yeah and I think that comes with that same training, that political yeah. training, right? I mean, you're ready to move, you know that you have to adjust and you have to deflect and defer as it goes. So tell yeah. me now, so you're past that point and you're on to now yeah. you've got um, clients and, and political work that you're doing. You're also a commentator for CNN. I love the work you're doing there now too. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Tell me a little bit about now as you're focused in on female candidates, it's kind of yeah. a fun, exciting, and maybe a little bit of a challenging time to help candidates in that space. Talk to me a little yeah. bit about what you're doing today. Sure. So um, as you know, I mean, I worked on Hillary's 2016 presidential race. And in between between the, the time after I left the DNC and, and then I and, and MSNBC in there, I also was doing consulting and working with women candidates and really believe that, you know, 
I think better decisions get made when women are around the table. Um, I think we've got increasing evidence of that from our boardrooms and in corporate America mm-hmm. and the balance that in, in our style of leadership, which is more collaborative when we get, when we can lead in the way that is our way. Yeah. And so um, I, you know, there's work with um, the Barbara Lee Family Foundation, not the Congresswoman, but the philanthropist, mm-hmm. and she's done just incredible research and understanding what are the unique challenges that women candidates face. So I've worked with Stacey Abrams on her gubernatorial first gubernatorial race, worked with House um, candidates, female Senate candidates, and what I love about it is, I mean, these are. You know, obviously it's wonderful when you work with a candidate that you just really respect. And obviously you get to a point in your career where it's like, I'm only going to work with people that I really like and respect. But <laughs> I have a lot, I have a line I'll remind you later about, about okay. that. I, sort of why I'm sort of peripherally only involved in politics anymore, but yeah, <laughs> get it. When you feel passionate about what they're doing, it really makes yeah. your work that much more rewarding. I get that. And I do think having, you know, diversity in elected officials that represents our country is so important because the way we think about issues or the way I think about it as a black person or as a woman, it's not better or worse, it's different. And sometimes that does help us get to a better decision. Um, And so I really enjoy that and helping women understand you know, it's harder for women to raise money, right? Men walk in and and it's interesting because we see this also in the entrepreneur world, right? Where the, you know, access to capital is hard for women. So understanding some of those things and helping women um, address those issues so that they get to be, you know, we would, as you and I would say, from a comm standpoint, you know, kind of clearing out the clutter in the channel so that it's a clear message and you get to hear this person for who they are. Uh, I really enjoy. And uh, CNN has been phenomenal. They've been great to me, as as you know. Um, I, you know, my life was going along in 2019 and 2020, obviously COVID hits. And then at the end of the year in 2020, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, which was so not in my plan, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Which for those of us in politics and in journalism, right, we are like, we are type A people. We have a plan. Right. We schedule our sicknesses and our babies and our life around 100%. politicians and, and elections and everything else. Yes. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, it was, first of all, it was just hard to absorb that kind of information because the tumor was benign. They were pretty sure of that from the beginning, but it was in a very difficult place. So it was going to be a very challenging surgery. And they were, you know, told me that and they didn't tell me all of the challenges, but they, I had enough of a sense. And, you know, I, of course, the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, what am I going to do with my dog? If I have to be in the hospital, who's going to take care of my dog? Yeah. And even the doctor said to me, he was like, so, and, you know, after this, the surgery, you're going to, you can't be alone for a couple of weeks. You got to either have somebody come stay with you because if you fall, if something happens and I said, well, I have a dog. And he said, unless your dog can call 911, that's not sufficient. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I got to Like, you know, and it really, um, wow. It breaks you down to your vulnerability to Mm -hmm. say, okay, I've got a, I I need help. And I've got, and my mother lives across the country and it was COVID. She's in almost 80. You can't. I was going to say, add the layer of the pandemic on top of that, Karen. I imagine that really. It was crazy. 
I'm so lucky that, you know, my friends really rallied around and CNN was great in, in terms of, you know, taking you know, the time it took for me to heal and yet you know, giving me the opportunity to appear on the air and show people while I was healing that that's not always perfect and that's okay. And that means you can still do your job. And, you know, one of the things I wrote about for CNN about that is how important you know, we politics and media and, you know, journalism, it's not a place where it's easy to be vulnerable. Right. And yet, gosh, it's so important that we do when we can, you know, and it, and I got so much wonderful feedback from people who just appreciated mm-hmm. um, that honesty. And, you know, it's, I, I was really lucky that I didn't, you know, I was like, okay, I'm ready for, you know, somebody to write some joke about, you know, my brain and you know whatever yeah. but I didn't see that and that was I really appreciated that especially at a time when our discourse is really sharp and really harsh but um so yeah I was lucky and now you know here we are things are in full swing uh you know in in the mid- midst of the Biden-Harris administration and this new Congress and so yeah, I'm still doing my consulting work and writing columns and, and and doing CNN. So it's a great mix for me. It's a great mix. And I, and I love it because I love that you, you obviously, you shared that Brene Brown is somebody that you admire and I yeah. do too. I love the fact <laughs> that she talks a lot about vulnerability. I think that a lot of that information that she shares with, you know, with her followers and her readers and her folks that are consuming the information she shares is so, um, well, it's so authentic. And it's really, I think, what people are seeking out, right? And especially yeah. now at a time when so much of the the discourse is so elevated and so um, excitable. But I also yeah. think too, Karen, that it's your, the way that you approach your work is the way you approached even that column that you shared about your, okay. about your, the, the surgery, because I felt like, first off, it always, com- your voice always comes through to me because we've obviously worked together. And I, so I, I appreciated that. But also too, I think that people see you as a fair actor and they know exactly sort of where you stand on issues. And so when you're on CNN, that's what comes through to me as well. I love watching you uh, spar with my friend, Scott Jennings, because I think the <laughs> two of you have a nice chemistry. I love that too. Yeah. Um, He's very respectful. I mean, I really respect Scott and, and, you know, but, and you know this, like there, there are so many of us, we do this work from different perspectives. So we, you know, there's a respect for a mutual respect, even though obviously he and I have very different perspectives. Although in some things we sort of, you know, there have been moments. I've seen moments of, of shared, uh, shared perspective. You know, it's also too, it's interesting. You talk about females and women and how we have, we come from kind of a different place in my practice. I do a lot of media training and public speaking training for a lot. A lot of times it is for women Mm -hmm. because as you said, I mean, the rules are a little bit different. Um, guys get up, God love them. They get up, put on a tie that makes them feel great don a jacket, they're out the door. Um, women have a lot more choices. And it's interesting that you say that we try to erase the distractions. Um, because I talk about that a lot. Because when we when we are on TV, we're in, in the media space where we're really anywhere, we have to be careful about, you know, distracting clothing, distracting hair, distracting anything. Um, right. And I don't necessarily know, well, because guys have the same uniform, I don't necessarily know that the rules are the same for us. So that's interesting point of view um, as it relates to now and the work that you're doing also, because that jibes with the work that I do also. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, women, you know, we know that part of the way audiences judge whether or not they like a woman includes what she's wearing, what her hair looks like, what, you know, too much makeup, too little makeup. What, I remember one time I was on and I, I, I didn't have my earrings on, you know, I just forgot them that day. And literally on Twitter, people were like, how come you didn't have any earrings? What's the matter? What, you know, <laughs> wait a second. we just spent an hour talking about, you know, critical issues of the day and that's your, but, but with candidates, we really do see that. And with women speakers, we really do see that, you know, men is what, what likability is less of a test mm. um, in terms of elections. People will vote for men. They don't like, they won't vote for a woman if they don't like her. Yeah. Um, so understanding that and, and sort of, you know, I always say to people I work with, you got to, don't have to have, don't have feeling about that. Just understand that there, there's some different rules and we just have to do it a little differently. Yeah. Um, it's part of why in her Senate race, the first one in particular, Hillary wore black suits because her thought was, let's just, you know, take that out of the equation. Yeah. And try to, of course, then there were plenty of stories about the black suit. Yeah. <laughs> but Poor thing. She couldn't point, get away from that. Yeah. <laughs> but point being, I mean, women, you know, when they're running for office or giving, I mean, they really do. We do have to think about these things a little bit differently and, and how we sound tonally and word choice. And I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. I think our, you know, the public and the audience, our audiences are changing some, the more we have more women leaders and it's becoming more common, but that's, you know, that's, it's taking time. Yeah. I'm sure you see that with the women you work with too. I do. No, I do. And I, and it's less about politicians anymore for me. It's a lot more in the corporate space, but two, for that reason, like also remind people that just any kind of distraction for women is much bigger. It's, it's, it's like, it's exaggerated if for some, for whatever reason. Um, All right. Pop quiz. I mean, are we ready for a female president? I mean, are we there? Are we going to see it in our lifetime at least my friend? I think we will see it in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. I I really do. And uh, I, I think the country is ready, but I think that the profile of who that person is um, and this is not to be making any commentary about anybody currently in the White House. No, 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 no. I'm just, just curious. There are plenty of women that are beginning to emerge as yeah. potential candidates. In, I do too. Um, but I'm curious as you, as the, in the work that you yeah. do, what kind, of, what kind of information you're seeing? Maybe you're seeing yeah. something different. I think, we, I think we are. But again, we have to recognize, I mean, a couple things, you know, Nikki Haley, who, I mean, I said to someone, you know, on paper, forget personality, she has more experience than Ron DeSantis. So why are you saying she'd be a great VP? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, almost immediately people were saying, oh, she'd be a great VP. Hold up. And I don't say that as a partisan. I say that as a woman. That's right. Or when I look at some of the coverage of Vice President Harris, you know, I've said to reporter friends, you're talking a lot about style, but you're not talking about the substance. How about the substance of what she did or what she said or what happened? Not just the who did what to whom. And some of that is because Washington is always obsessed with that. <laughs> yes, no doubt. There is, women do tend to get more of those kind of process, mm-hmm. you know, behave, you know, so style questions. And so I think we also have to help our, our media do a better job in understanding how to cover women and understand 
how there is bias inherent in language and that sometimes there's a way we talk about women we would never talk about a man yeah and so it, it means she doesn't even get to be whoever she is on the same you know playing field right um so and i think we've got more work to do but i think we're, i think we're ready and the last thing i'll say too is i hope that part of what you know women one of the strengths that women have as leaders is we're good listeners mm-hmm. and it helps voters feel heard yeah and so and it's interesting, I'm starting to see male candidates start their campaigns with listening tours because they want to show that they're good listeners. So part of what makes us good leaders is starting to rub off and men are realizing, hey, we want to show those skills too. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's a great sign of progress for women leaders. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also think too, as we talk about news coverage and, and the importance of that news coverage, the newsrooms also be, need to be better reflective of females in general, more females in the room, yes. more females, not only writing, but also editing and in the leadership spots as well. Um, yes. And that to me also feels like something that is, I'm hoping is evolving and changing too over time. Um, okay. So as we get to the end of our time together, which I, I we could go on for forever because it's so good to catch up with you. Um, I have to ask uh, who should I have for a future guest? Oh, there's so many great ones. Um, Alexi McCammond of Axios is a fantastic writer. Um, Aaron Haynes of the 19th, which the 19th is such a great publication online, but really focuses on women's issues in particular and women of color and uh, really trying to uh, capture that younger women's audience. I love it. Which I, which I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, th- those would be two I-, I would recommend. That's awesome. I mean, you know how this goes, right? I mean, the only way to keep the conversation going is to get recommendations from other people you know and appreciate. Absolutely. And so that's Absolutely. kind of how we've done it here at the podcast. Karen, so, so good to have you today. I'm so grateful for your time and I wish you all the best, my friend. Thank you so much. It's so great to see you. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.